0: hey autumn hey jeremy
1: do you remember ann rice's interview with the vampire the book definitely the book or the movie do you remember either one yeah do you want to record a podcast about it yeah Welcome to Dead Blood Club, a
0: soft goth podcast about Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. I'm
1: Jeremy. I'm Autumn. And uh, you guys probably know us from other podcasts, and we, this is the first time Autumn and I are starting our own thing. And you heard right. It's going to be about Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire series, including all related media. We're going to do all of the books, at least as long as we can stomach them. Uh, but we're also going to be covering related comics. Yes, there are Interview with the Vampire comics. Uh, and then, of course, a couple of the movies that were produced. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. <laughs> uh, before we get into it, what, what's your history with this? When did you read this for the first time?
0: I probably read this for the first time maybe around like nineteen ninety or ninety one. I was a little kid, and I don't know <laughs> why. I like, you. Know, I've talked about this before. Like my parents just didn't supervise my reading at all. Like, <laughs> but I, I read it, and I remember at the time because uh, uh, I lived in Louisiana, grew up in Louisiana. Um, the movie was about to be released, and you know, they were doing open casting calls for a character in the book, in the movie, Claudia. And my mom suggested to me, I assumed at the time with all seriousness, but in hindsight, she might have been joking. But <laughs> she was like, why Why don't you go try out for it? The auditions are just in New Orleans. And, and he um, said,
1: Mom, I don't have a driver's license. I'm 11. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean go try out for it?
0: You, you might not know this, but but at the time when I was like 10, 11, 12, I... Um, I had had a serious theater role. I played uh, a party-goer number three, no speaking lines, in a children's theater production of... Charles Dickens, a Christmas character. So, I, Carol, I, I had chops. You know what I'm saying?
1: I uh, that reminds me of the time that I was just uh, one of Jesus's apostles, <laughs> not in any of the named ones. I was just if there needed to be an extra apostle somewhere that could sing in Jesus Christ Superstar, then I was your man.
0: Yeah, you were like like the like sitting on the bench, you know, just in case somebody needed to tap you in.
1: Except they specifically told me not to sing because I would bring down everybody else. <laughs> so I just had to like lip sync my way across the stage. Well, well, did you? Uh, did you try out? Oh,
0: oh absolutely. Absolutely not. You know, at the, <laughs> at the time, you know, you you're like 11 or 12 and you get caught up on the details. And I was like, I'm not blonde. I mean really that would have been like again no acting skills um, there were some other problems as well but at the time I was like geez mom I'm blonde I can't I, I'm not blonde I can't do that
1: <laughs> the blonde is the way it got you yeah
0: that's that's the only thing keeping me I mean think of the career that Kirsten Dunst has had I mean I could have been in Melancholia yep. I mean I could have been making Lars von Trier films Ma-
1: if I name one other Mel- Kristen Dur- Kristen, Kirsten Dunst song, movie
0: why would you challenge me to I'm this put you, I'm
1: gonna put you on the spot
0: bring <laughs> it on Marie Antoinette <laughs>
1: melancholia was just a deep cut <laughs> like most people would just go spider-man but no you went all the way to melancholia
0: <laughs> oh yeah spider-man huh yeah, Spider-Man. That, was, that was the only thing that kept me from from upside down smooching toby Maguire yes. in the future mm-hmm. which i mean it, it worked out well for you that i wasn't blonde
1: and toby Maguire because yeah. i would have kicked that dude's ass apparently
0: i'd never heard of a wig when i was 12
1: <laughs> uh, i think i read this around the same time that you did uh, i remember being in seventh grade like, uh, or maybe not no, it had to be. It had to be after that for me because I remember the movie coming out, and I, I was a freshman in high school, not seventh grade um but a, a very cute girl gave it to me and i was very excited to, to read this book and uh had no idea what i was getting into so.
0: I, I just want to say i don't care for her no
1: we don't we don't talk about i don't her. know who she was but i don't care for her <laughs> no, i'm not friends with her on facebook i don't think I have to worry <laughs> um but i remember like because uh, you know i grew up watching horror movies and things like that and you know i had a, a, a working knowledge of all things vampire and just being kind of blown away that this was so dramatically different
0: I think that this book the time and place that we read it also I mean who when they're young doesn't I mean everybody kind of a little bit wanted to be goth when they were young
1: like I wanted to be a vampire like you just go straight to skip goth and go straight to vamp like I was I was ready to take on the dark curse I was (laughs) I was excited about it yeah
0: You know, now I'd have a lot more concerns. Like then I would have been just fine with it. But now I'd be like, well, I want to get my cardio right. Like I want to be at a healthy body weight before I get turned, you know. Yeah,
1: Now there would be a lot of like, okay, can you wait a week or two?
0: Yeah, I want to make sure my hair is the right length. Like, you know, get a mani-pedi and um, I'm like, swap me now. Like, like, let's do it. Let's change.
1: That is one of the most awkward parts of becoming a vampire is that you do. You just stay that way forever. So you need to make sure you got that good hair going. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) And again, that fresh manicure. You don't want to have one long nail.
1: Oh, man imagine if you had a just an eternal hangnail (laughs) you can't get rid of it just grows back every single day that you hit your coffin up Um, so the structure of the show, I guess we should talk about that a little bit. Uh, we're not we're not crazy people, so we're not going to do an entire book in one podcast. Um, we're going to kind of stretch this out a little bit. So Autumn has has divided up the first book into six sections. So we're going to cover them one by one. Um, so there'll be six episodes on Interview with the Vampire total. So don't worry if you if you want to read along with us, you'll have plenty of time to do so. Uh, we haven't really decided on a release schedule of this as of yet. So we're going to get a couple in the bank and then kind of see what we want to do and see how often are <laughs> motivation to get in this bedroom and do this together is <laughs> <laughs> with all of the other things we have going on in our lives so um I guess without further ado, do you want to kind of introduce us to the book and then kind of set the stage for us?
0: Sure. Well, for anyone anyone that's only seen the the film Interview with the Vampire was the the first novel, the debut novel by author Anne Rice. Uh it was originally published in 1976. Uh shortly after unfortunately the the death of her daughter who kind of served as an inspiration for a character we'll meet later in the book. Uh it was a uh, I mean, it worked out pretty well for, I, I mean, I think there's 11 sequels at this point.
1: point, uh, two films, <laughs> 11 sequels. Jesus Christ. Hey,
0: man, you knew what you signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in fact, there's a upcoming Hulu series, I believe, that they're working on. Uh, it was co-written by Anne Rice and Christopher Rice, who's her son,
1: which may or may not have been the inspiration for this podcast here that news. going like, oh, this might be fun to do. <laughs> Let's dedicate ourselves to, to dedicate our lives to vampires for like a couple of months. to See how this works out. <laughs>
0: so i guess let's get into the book sure let's do it Um, we we start off um we're we're in a room we have an interviewer who at the beginning is unnamed and a vampire who will
1: let her be named as kristen slater (laughs) (laughs) weird pick lucky that came off in the movie
0: (laughs) um and they're sitting down to to have an interview. You can tell the interviewer at the beginning is not like he's like, wink, wink. OK, you're a vampire. I sure. mean, you know, I was kind of wondering when I was reading this. What do you think he's taken this interview for?
1: Um, I mean, he definitely strikes me as one of these people that are... Uh just doing the work like it'd be like if i was just interviewing people for don't give up skeleton without actually releasing don't give up skeleton like i knew i had to do the thing but i didn't know how to get it out there to people like he strikes me as one of those guys right
0: you think it was like a national Enquirer type of thing where he was hoping to interview bat boy and <laughs> and he
1: got a real vampire instead <laughs> yeah, it accidentally got went off an- the rails got another bigfoot situation <laughs>
0: <laughs> not again
1: not again <laughs>
0: But yeah, I, I guess this guy is like the the Studs
1: Turkel of the the undead just going around and co- collecting cool stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um the the first thing that I'd kind of noticed is just the the way that Anne Rice writes. I'm pretty sure this was my first Anne Rice book. I've read a lot of them since. Um but she she writes um, especially when she talks about New Orleans, where I believe she was living it during this time if not her entire life. Um, she just she the way she describes things is it, it it makes you feel like you're in Louisiana in a way that people who write about louisiana don't often get right like i had never been to new orleans when i read this for the first time but i was like yes this is new orleans like it was that thing
0: and you had being both from louisiana that cultural pride you were like yeah yeah she's she's repping my city right this is this is
1: this is legit (laughs) and it's funny going back to it now that um i'm way on the other side of 13 years old obviously and have been to new orleans countless times and don't really ever want to go back if i can help it um ouch (laughs) But Bourbon Street has a smell. Okay, it just has a smell. I guess we're not going to have the New Orleans Tourism
0: Board as a sponsor on the <laughs> I guess, podcast. Guess not. Whoops.
1: Uh, throw away that business card. <laughs> um But the it, it, it's very accurate. Like it makes you feel like you're living in the city. Like it feels sweaty. And even when she starts describing the the old timey New Orleans, like it, it works for me on on a way that a lot of stories about New Orleans don't.
0: I, I think I would uh, agree with that. I think my favorite part about the beginning, like. Louis is a showman.
1: Yes. I mean, they're, they're sitting... And a bit of a braggart.
0: <laughs> like, they're sitting there and he's like, you know, are you ready to see me, basically, and, like, turns on the light and everyone's like, oh, ooh, white skin, bright eyes.
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's very much like a set piece kind of thing. Like, if you didn't know any better, you'd think that, like, Louis had orchestrated this just to scare this kid somehow. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Louis planned the moment. What do you think I mean at the beginning of this going into it um because we're going to get the the structure of the story is that we're going to get these framing this these framing kind of chapters about what's happening in the modern time and then Louis explaining his origin as a vampire and explaining his kind of journey to get to where he is at the beginning especially what do you think that he was setting out to do
0: uh, you know I, 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 Louis lonely louis wants his story on the record and you know i had a lot more affection for louis i think when i was a little bit younger reading this as an adult i think louis wants to to score some points this whole thing reads like a like a, how your friends talk after a really bad breakup
1: <laughs> yeah if there's any uh louis stands listening uh just a, just a warning autumn is very anti louis throughout most of this book <laughs> She's, I, not gonna, she's not going to she's not going to go easy on Lou at all. So. I just
0: I just see Louie a little differently than I did. Like when I was younger, I thought he was just so romantic and like byronic and like, oh, Louie. And now I'm like, oh, bitter much.
1: <laughs> so Louie's going to tell us all about um kind of his the way he started out, right? So he was uh, a plantation owner and is it 1700s, France? Yes, yeah,
0: 1791 in New Orleans.
1: In 18th century New Orleans. Um, and his his family was from France, although he had never been there himself. He didn't, all he remembers, well, excuse me, he barely remembers it. All he remembers was leaving. Um, he's got uh, a family. He's got a couple of sisters, uh, but he is an unmarried kind of plantation owner and is providing for his own family. And specifically, he has a brother that's going to be like, a pretty important role in the in the moments coming up.
0: Yeah. After Louis's father died, he ended up taking care of his mother, his sister, his younger brother, Paul. And Paul, although young, I think he's maybe 12 years old, he's a, he's a bit of a religious fanatic. I mean, the whole family's Catholic, but, but Paul seems to take it that extra next step.
1: Yeah, Paul is that person in your on your in your family that just he just can't like something on Facebook. He has to like share every single post from the thing that he likes, and you're like, okay, we get it. All right, Bastards. All right, calm the fuck down. Yeah,
0: pump pump the brakes, Paul. <laughs> but but Louis being a good brother, he um he goes all out. He builds Paul an oratory for doing his praying. He really God, encourages it. Building stuff was him. so
1: much easier when you just owned a bunch of slaves, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, never,
0: never promise crazy an oratory. <laughs> So, at about 15, Paul starts having these visions and he he comes to Louis as the the head of the family, the paterfamilias, and he says, Louis, hey, we need to sell all of our possessions, sell the plantation, uh, go to France and start, I guess, our own crusade um, against atheism in France.
1: Yeah, that's boy, that's a business idea right there. <laughs> like you can't, I can't help but look at that as as like a family member coming to you, be like, "Hey, man, I need twenty thousand dollars, but let me tell you why." <laughs> and it's just no, no no matter what they say after that, it's not going to be a good idea um this this ends about as you would expect uh, with louis kind of and him in, in, a, in a pretty serious argument with one another because he's this guy's having visions that he says is from god and louis who is religious like up to like he's there on sundays but he's not there on wednesdays is is kind of like okay get, i mean maybe but we're not going to like follow him <laughs> like you can have them yeah. but we're not going to like base our business decision on them
0: literally cool story bro not happening
1: i think this is the first time louis brags about being a good business owner too which is going to be something that happens to route after he meets lestat and the rest of the cast the characters he's just very proud of his business kneeling
0: <laughs> his, uh, his
1: acumen yeah um you,
0: you know you mentioned this kind of setting the stage this is the one time in the book that we see louis confront somebody and get into a big argument um, louis tends to be very pa- very passive throughout the book louis confronts his brother and is like no it's not happening and and in, in what will set the stage for everything else to come in the book uh the brother kills himself. Yeah. Um, the the one time Louis speaks up, has this argument, there's tragic consequences. And he spends the rest of the book kind of passive-aggressively trying to manipulate people into doing what he wants and not communicating with them what he actually wants.
1: <laughs> or just not telling them at all and uh, hiring a reporter to tell his life story to so he can bake it all up in himself. <laughs> yeah, Paul kills himself, uh, which... As, as you might imagine has some serious negative effects on louis um and he he goes into this kind of deep depression he uh he leases his plantation and on, on this re- on this reread because at, at the time that was something that you know th- i didn't really understand what a lease was at 13 years old thanks public education system but um like reading this now i'm like who like what <laughs> Who was, le- who was leasing plantations?
0: It's got to be like one of those property management services that <laughs> yeah. people like that read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like bought all those places. And they're like, this actually sucks talking to tenants like he just, you know, outsourced. Yeah.
1: yeah. We'll come in. We'll mow the grass. <laughs> <we'll-> <laughs> yeah.
0: If your garbage disposal backs up, we'll take care of it.
1: So he, he leases these plantations out and he moves his entire family to uh, New Orleans proper. So they're living in the city now um, because they are rich and well off. They, they've got some pretty dope apartments. Not that Louie's paying attention because he is effectively just just hiding away from the world. I mean, he is super depressed. He's not communicating with his family. He doesn't have any friends. He's just going out, getting wasted every night in New Orleans and going back home to his rich ass house. Autumn, can we do this? (laughs) (laughs) I was just in the middle of saying that. I realized this sounds like a dope ass job without the depression stuff. Like, let's hope that none of our family kills themselves for us to get there. But
0: we just need to get interns to do our actual jobs.
1: (laughs) We need a leasing company. for. Can somebody lease these jobs? (laughs) You can have 20 percent of the wages. Yeah, exactly.
0: Get some valuable work experience on your resume literally doing my my job for me uh, one thing i wanted to note in here louie showing uh, again what will be a trend of being a l- little bit a little bit self-involved uh he he mentions it here as kind of a throwaway line that his sister has a full mental collapse after he's moved her to New Orleans and he's like oh it's just because everybody told her she was supposed to be hysterical that's the only reason that it happened she was just doing what she thought she was supposed to do and I'm like you know that's exactly what somebody born in like 1791 would say
1: yeah honestly that's like something that someone from Louisiana in 1991 would say to me. I mean, maybe not New Orleans but definitely the rest of this dumbass state
0: yeah she's, she's not having a mental health crisis she's just being ridiculous because she thinks acting out will get her attention
1: <laughs> she, just, she she just needs new friends yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh while he's kind of out on the town uh one night he he is attacked uh and he doesn't know it at the time but he, it is by a vampire and uh this is our first introduction to Lestat, although we we don't know a name yet So as he's recovering from this attack, uh, a priest visits him, and as he's talking to this priest, which is the first time that he's really discussed his brother's death... Uh, the priest says, "Actually, dude, if he was having all those visions, that probably means he was possessed by the devil. Hate to tell you that, but see you later. Bye. <laughs> this is this is good churching, huh, guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Louis pissed. Oh, absolutely. Louis is angry about this because the only thing, like, the only thing that's making that's driving him along is like maybe, he, maybe his brother was actually right and he was a fuck up for doing it. And Louis can't really handle not having some guilt. He's a lot like Dean Winchester.
0: <laughs> it's like how like like you could make a joke about me, but if one of your friends makes a joke." about about me you'd be like hey go fuck yourself
1: yeah i don't care if you're a priest or not (laughs) (laughs) i'm rich i can get you kicked out of the parish
0: (laughs) Um, one thing i I noticed or i noted in there was that louis kind of says you know it might have been anyone that attacked me it might have been you know a robber or so and so like basically i was going around the like on the streets drunk and dissolute you know i deserved it Louis, baby nobody deserves it you weren't asking for anything
1: <laughs> seriously yeah i, I just
0: picture louie like in mo- the modern day like at some kind of parade or like rally holding up a sign saying this is what i was wearing when i was turned into a vampire did i deserve it like
1: Louis, no <laughs> baby you didn't you, you did not no also that's just a frog <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what are you doing louie
0: you're a fop and you know it like the the the, the lace cuffs are a dead giveaway
1: so uh, after this, uh, our boy Lestat visits Louis again. Um, he attacked him once, got a taste of that sweet, sweet Louis blood, and came, decided to come back for for the full deal. And um, Louis presents this, and I think this is probably going to be the first time we bring up that Louis is going to be a bit of an unreliable narrator. Because Louis presents this as Lestat offering him this deal, and Louis being so kind of depressed and self-destructive that he went for it. When I kind of think in reality, Louis was just looking for anything else in his life, right? Like, I don't necessarily think that him telling Kristen Slater that Lestat kind of hypnotized him or charmed him into doing this is necessarily accurate. And throughout this, the way that he presents Lestat, if if you compare that to what we read in the later books, it seems like. Maybe Louis isn't a hundred percent accurate in this conversation.
0: You know, he he makes out like the only reason that Lestat did this is because he coveted Louis's plantation and riches. Oh, oh, Lestat! I mean, he he can get some money whenever he wants. Like the dude's not hurting for money.
1: Yeah, Louis presents that that too, and this is going to come out through come up throughout the book. Uh, Louis presents that as Lestat not having a really good business sense. Like he can get money, but he can't keep money, and he can't keep the kind of money that you need to have a house in new orleans or have a plantation or have the kind of security that he can't have he can get money he can't get wealth i think is what louis is saying um but i don't know i don't know how accurate that is especially because later on lestat doesn't really give a fuck (laughs) like in the rest of the books he does not give a shit about this stuff
0: it it does come off a little bit like when people complain about their exes you know i paid for everything and he never paid for anything
1: exactly yeah
0: like i mean he, he only wanted me for my money
1: so this is the deal that Lestat presents. He says, "Hey, you have this plantation. Uh it's it's working for you. I have this blind old father I need a place for and I I will turn you into a vampire if you let me have this plantation, which isn't quite what happens, but uh and also let my let me store my dad there." And Louis is just like, "Sure, let's do it."
0: Yeah. I mean, god forbid I have an argument with somebody. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't want to say no. <laughs> this dude must be a pushover at the Toyota dealership,
0: huh? <laughs> <laughs> so um Lestat turns Louis. Louis goes for it, and what follows next is, I guess, well, like in any any good film, the drug scene. Louis is tripping balls.
1: Yeah, this is. Um, is, does he turn him before or after he kills the overseer?
0: I think. Or after they, I, I think that's after? Louis's first first yeah, kill. Yeah.
1: So so Lestat like makes him watch or something or.
0: Well, well, Lestat turns Louis, and then we get probably, um, I mean, we get multiple pages of, man, have you ever looked at trees before? Have you
1: ever looked at a blade of grass? Wow. Yeah. We are so small. I didn't, you know, I thought I understood what green was, but now, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, and I, to be honest with you, when I was a kid, I really enjoyed these scenes, like the scenes of becoming a vampire um throughout the series, I think are all very good, showing this weird otherness, showing how they perceive the world differently um it's it in reading it now, it's very much a, um especially because I've read so many we've we've seen and experienced so many superhero movies and superhero like it's like getting your powers for the first. It's his origin story. literally his origin story. Yeah, but it's it's very much like uh you know, Cyclops opening his eyes at the school or the first time and all that kind of stuff. And it's uh it's, it's it's really interesting, but it probably goes on a little bit too long for me nowadays. And you can tell that Anne Rice is just in love with the this this idea, like she just wants to write about it.
0: And well, she infuses a lot of like eroticism into something that's basically an, an act of feeding.
1: it's true that's uh that's something else that this book has a has a lot of um which is kind of these homoerotic tones that overtones that don't really go anywhere inside this book like we don't really it's obvious that these two people care about each other and there's a lot of i love you and a lot of like closeness and a lot of like these weird vampire not quite emotions back and forth but it's 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 very it's very like under the surface
0: I agree completely. I think there's a lot of stuff in this book that you can read as a kind of a metaphor for for possibly being closeted. Um, you know, some of the relationships that Louis tries to have with um, Babette and her sisters a little bit later in in this first part of the novel. It, it, it's interesting. I mean, Lestat's keeping a secret from his father about his lifestyle, his vampire lifestyle. Um, you know, only their servants know that something's not quite like what they're presenting to the world. So I, th- I think there's some definite tones of that. I, I can't say for sure because you know Anne Rice writing. Under her um, uh, her pen name, she's no stranger to um, complex eroticism. But um, I don't know if it's a time and the place, or she didn't want that to take away in her mind from the the story. I mean, you know, again, being written in 1976. But I mean, it, it this was it, written in 1976. It, it's it's a very
1: I thought it was much later,
0: with without any like physical touching in a sexual type of manner. I mean, this is a very erotic novel about mm-hmm. a relationship between between two men.
1: Yeah, and it's um, it, I think we probably need to say too, like covering some of this this material. In 2018 like it's going like a lot of it's going to be problematic it's problematic material especially because Anne rice have, has done multiple 180s on her own material several times over the course <laughs> of the last couple of decades finding jesus rejecting jesus finding jesus again and retconning all just whole swaths of this stuff so we're going to deal with it as it comes up if um if you're if you have something that you want to write in if you want to kind of you know send us your opinions you can uh, hit the website that'll be in the show notes uh, there'll be a contact page on that and just let, let us know how you feel or if we missed anything that you specifically feel we should call out let us know and we'll we'll kind of include that in our if we do a feedback episode or, or whatever we do for those
0: um, you know we we were talking about the the subtle eroticism of uh lewis's transformation or louis transformation there's not a moment where we we turn a vampire in this book that um the beauty of that transformation isn't sullied by a bad case of the vampire trots
1: it's true it's uh the i think that's one thing like it's um do you remember watching that show Hemlock Grove? Yes. And do you remember the first time that that dude uh, turned into a werewolf? Yes. And it was one of the most, like, appalling things that you had ever seen on television or on Netflix, rather, because it was just, it wasn't that go into the woods and come back a wolf with some blue jean cutoffs on. Like, it was a literal, like, skin ripping, bones breaking as this person transformed. And very much that happens here, too. When these people die, they die. Like, all of their normal gases and waste start expelling themselves. Why, why be coy? The The they get diarrhea jeremy they get the diarrhea they get the diarrhea real bad (laughs) (laughs) but it only happens the one time like it's literally the last diarrhea
0: you know that that'd be nice like it's like a real devil's bargain like you're gonna have some bad diarrhea but you'll never have it again
1: it'll last for four hours and during that four hours you will have senses like you have never felt before but then it will never you would never experience that ever again So uh, they kill the Overseer, which is part of uh, Louis' kind of initiation into vampires. Lestat is basically, you know, doing by showing instead of telling, you know, hey, you have to kill people to survive. Um, And then Louis is then completely transformed and then, yes, goes through like all of these like parts uh this period of time where he has to actually die like he, his his body is dead it just has to finish dying which is a weird thing
0: and this is where we start to see when we flash back to uh, Louis and the interviewer in the present day uh, this is where we start to see some of Louis's bitterness really shining through you know we saw it a little bit with the you know he just wanted me for my plantation uh, it, i mean Louis is very bitter about the way that he feels Lestat handled his conversion. That Lestat could have been tender, explained things. They could have shared in these mysteries together. And Lestat was just wholly inadequate in Louis' opinion.
1: Louis, no one's first time is good. (laughs) it's just not it's not a possibility everybody's awkward and weird and they feel guilty and bad and like they're doing something wrong like nobody has a great first time it's just it's just impossible like you got to let this go it's not lestat's fault
0: yeah you know spe- speaking of that um he's going on and on about how you know he's superior to lestat in every single way lestat did such a bad job of this he was terrible you know he didn't explain anything he knows nothing and then the interviewer is like so so tell me a little bit more what what is the transformation like in and louis is like oh oh i can't i can't explain I it
1: possibly tell you what that <laughs> yeah. means
0: so like it's kind of like hello kettle you're black i mean he's like <laughs> complaining about lestat doing a bad job he's like well i mean yeah i can't do it either but lestat's a dick
1: <laughs> <laughs> i um so it's at this part that they go hunting in the swamp for slaves right this is their first kill together and uh louis Grabs one of these runaway slaves and starts drinking him through the normal kind of vampire procedure. But this is where we learn that you can actually do this wrong. So, and the, 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 the the way this process is described is like you you feel the the heartbeat like pulsing inside you and it like kind of seems to you as a vampire and you get can get lost in it and actually make yourself sick because if you as we're going to find out and as you might be clued into the name of this podcast vampires don't like dead blood
0: you are not going to want to drink the dead blood <laughs> you're not going to want to drink dead blood yellow snow dead blood <laughs> yes. two places you don't want to go you
1: don't, don't want to go there um so you have to kind of time this and let them go and let them die before and without continually drinking their blood and louis gets almost gets this wrong the first time out and again we have we have some acrimony from from louis towards lestat because lestat didn't necessarily tell him this lestat just assumed yeah you idiot don't drink dead blood this should be (laughs) fucking obvious (laughs) why do i have to tell you every little thing about your life (laughs) you have to wipe too
0: (laughs) Uh, they they go back. I wanted to note this. Um, the the first night, Lestat, I, I will say on on Louis's behalf, Lestat hasn't made any preparations whatsoever. He's like, "Well, bro, you you got to sleep in my coffin, face to face.
1: Yeah, hop on in." This is a, this is a little much. Like at, at this point, I'm like, "Okay, Lestat, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't brought an extra coffin along? Like, what were you?" I mean, you you can have one delivered.
0: Like, you, you wanted that plantation so bad, you didn't want to pre-stock it with a couple coffins? It's probably
1: easy to get a coffin in New Orleans, right? Like, I mean, you could probably just... There's probably, like, a coffin shop on Bourbon Street that's been there for 400 years or some shit nowadays. Like, you just walk in and get one and then have it delivered to your plantation in the swamp.
0: And, I mean, I know they don't have duct tape for sealing things yet, but, I mean, Louis can't just sleep it out in a closet? <laughs>
1: it's weird that it's specifically a coffin like i feel like i don't know i don't care about it like the the world the the way that Anne rice sets up these rules is, is is very compelling and very interesting but it's just one of the more weirder details like hey crosses are fine like i don't care about crosses sunlight definitely no good dead blood bad but yeah i have to sleep in a coffin every night and it has to be a for real coffin it can't be you know a closet which doesn't seem just seem, seems weird to me
0: louis's origin or louis origin story and past is such a uh, such a bummerino. Um, you just reminded me when he's in there with the interviewer louis is kind of flirtatious like he he's a charming guy he's he's lighting the interviewer's cigarette he's like oh you know the interviewer's like you have an accent i can't place it and louis is like oh do i have an accent <laughs> i mean it, it louis Louis's a charming handsome man which i think sometimes gets lost in the 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 details i mean yeah. he could have had a a fun cool party plantation life if it weren't for the tragedy of his brother and then the the second tragedy of being turned by an uncaring man
1: Aww. so uh at this point um we basically kind of get a history of louis and Lestat living together uh immediately louis kind of just does not does not like hanging out with Lestat. it's one of these guys that just shows up he's on your couch all the time he's like you know you're ordering a pizza and he's like get me some wings and you're like what the fuck why are you why are you here why am i getting you wings um, and, you know, he's just kind of brash and abrasive where Louis is a very cultured and and a, he considers himself to be a very cultured and very sensitive person. And Lestat is, as Louis presents him, the total opposite. And it doesn't help that Louis very quickly figures out that he does not like killing humans and is basically subsisting on animal blood, which is kind of gross
0: you know like once you figure out that you can subsist on animal blood like it seems like i mean because you know we we order food in all the time like why wouldn't you and just for anyone listening i I have horses i'm a horse lover (laughs) but why wouldn't you just get a few draft horses keep them in your barn have a little snack every night like it's like like takeaway from your favorite restaurant
1: there is no ethical vampire consumption and capitalism on them (laughs) (laughs) you can't
0: And, and and similarly, um, you know, L- L- Louis doing this. He's a little mad at Lestat because Lestat hadn't told him about the animal blood thing. He complains a lot throughout this about how Lestat isn't telling him things that he's not keeping the mysteries. That he's so disappointed with everything about their their life. L- Louis, you need to talk to your maker. I- I kind of think we should maybe stop this podcast, like reformat it right now and just give relationship advice to um, to vampires. <laughs> like, like you've got to talk to your maker. you got to set a household budget and you got to stick to it.
1: My vampire, my vampire and me. <laughs> the new podcast from the McElroy brothers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but yeah, like t- talk to your maker. Use I feel words. Let's sure. not yeah, I feel yeah. that you're doing a really shitty job at this. <laughs>
1: Um so the next part of the story is uh Lestat basically kind of having a thing for the dude next door. Um Lestat really enjoys killing and drinking these young successful dudes um that are all over New Orleans at this place because it's you know it's, the, it's in 1791 in the south in the south part of America so of course it's all you know they're all just white successful dudes everywhere. Um but the plantation next door is uh run and owned by a, game name, a guy named a family named Frenier um frenier you think maybe which one sound which one sounds better i don't frenier sounds pretty good (laughs) hey man i
0: I took high school spanish i can't help you out here at all
1: (laughs) um so he uh is frenier the name or is that the is that the dude that's everybody's last name that's everybody's last name so mm-hmm. the the leader of this family looks not kind of falls in love with him and is like okay i i I very much want to eat this person
0: and Louis' is like, no 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 yeah. he, he's he's got like five sisters yeah. I mean it, it, you know he's the head of it, like they'll be
1: absolutely lost without this guy. Please go to New Orleans for your food, <laughs> <laughs> please don't do this in St. Charles Parish. yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: And this is actually one of the few times that we do see Louis kind of try to stand up to Lestat in the the first half of the book.
1: Yeah, yeah. Louis very, very – not very eloquently, but he very – firmly says, like, hey... Don't kill him. M- please don't kill this dude. Like, I don't want you to do this. And uh, somehow this dude gets caught up in a in a situation where he's going to, into a duel. Uh, I don't remember if it was the honor of somebody or the honor of something. What It doesn't really matter. Uh, but Lestat's idea, and I actually kind of like this. Lestat is, you know, you want to you, you use the whole part of the hog is like, well, <laughs> if he dies in a duel, I don't get to eat him. Let me just <laughs> eat him. He's probably going to die. Have you seen that yeah. dude shoot? He's got a 50-50 shot. Yeah. I might as well just eat him now. That way I'm happy about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... I mean, if you're a vampire, kind of a good point.
0: Yeah, Lestat won, Frenier zero.
1: This duel, is does the duel happen? I can't quite remember.
0: Yeah, the, the duel happens, and I think um, Frenier actually wins the duel. Uh, but Lestat drinks him anyway.
1: Oh, bummer. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So so Louis, I guess, feeling a little bit of responsibility since it was it was his maker the that killed off the head of the family and these sisters are going to be lost. Um he he reveals himself to the oldest daughter Babette, who he has a he has a lot of respect for and I mean he kind of thinks she's gorgeous too.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's interesting that um this relationship didn't exist pre-vampire. Louis because the way that it's presented is like he's always known who this woman was. He's always had a tremendous respect for her because she was a woman and she, because she once this dude dies, she takes control of the house and basically nobody thinks that she's capable except for Louis. Louis knows that she's smart. She knows how the business operates and that she can do it. Why he didn't wife her up to begin with, I don't know. He could have been much happier. Like if his brother committed suicide when he had Babette, she would have just been like, Louis, it wasn't your fault. The fucker was crazy. Louis, get your shit together. The leasing company takes 25% of your profits, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> no i don't want to move to new orleans the traffic is terrible
0: but but i guess because Listot is responsible louis feels like he has to to take care of these these women this this family uh, i mean it kind of comes off in the way that louis describing these women like he would just wants to well to bang his way through all the sisters and little women you know <laughs> and louisa may alcott's little women but um he he appears to her and he acts like he's some type of like guardian angel like Mm -hmm. in the shadows he whispers to her and he's like babette Maybe take over the plantation. Go ahead and find good marriages for your sisters Throw a party
1: yeah, <laughs> yes. no, no shit, dumbass I'm gonna throw a party
0: <laughs> It's it's New Orleans in the late 1700s
1: There's probably gonna be a parade about it I don't know, these things just happen nowadays exactly.
0: We already have a regularly scheduled party I was just gonna skip it this week You're saying I should go
1: ahead It's $300 for a drum lot You don't think I'm gonna throw a party? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With um, this I mean this is a good idea I think it's kind of weird th- In the way that this is presented That she wouldn't just Have this idea herself um, But I, And it's also Very theatrical On Louie's part Who could just show up At the door at night And just introduce himself And be like Hey I'm the guy next door <laughs> it, Have you ever thought about <laughs>
0: It seems like Louis's like If I do enough good deeds She'll like me Despite what I am
1: Sure That that always works out For the guys in the end <laughs> I've seen this romantic comedy <laughs> It's the always the guy that does all of the good deeds that that gets the ladies, and not the guy that just says hello. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so Louis kind of watches from the sidelines. Um, he he and Lestat enjoy a oh I don't know if you can say enjoy on Louis's part, but uh, they pass a, a few years together. Um, Meanwhile, the slaves on Louis's plantation are are getting a little suspicious. There's a little chatter like, you know you know those guys drinking coffin are you know they're they're drinking blood out of goblets. They're sleeping in coffins. They never seem to shower or use the bathroom.
1: They might be hunter. I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, like the, the these the, the people are all around them are beginning to suspect things, as as you might expect from just a normal person. Um and so they, they there's basically this whole revolt, uh, because so many people have been dying and there's so much weirdness going on. Um and Louis is basically like, you know what? We gotta go to New Orleans. Like we can't we can't be hanging out here. This is this this is this is too much. It's too close. And I would imagine um you and i know a little bit about the rural south and the rural louisiana you, we know where these plantations are because a lot of them are still around it had to be incredibly secluded like it wasn't it, it's not like you know where you would just walk next door to the plantation like that was a goodly number of miles
0: yeah now there's subdivisions next to all of like <laughs> with like
1: little little exactly houses mcmansions
0: yeah. um next to all the plantations
1: i mean he was probably on what 800 acres so like when somebody dies that everybody will know about it. <laughs> like it's a big deal. So the fact that they're just preying on their own populace, essentially, because that's what a plantation in, in ended up being was its own little miniature, you know, town. And I, it's just amazing that it even lasted that long before they decided to move to New Orleans.
0: Absolutely. So the the slaves are are getting upset. Um, they're realizing that they're going to have to to do something. May, maybe abscond. And Lestat comes to Louis and says, "Hey Louis, you got to kill my blind dad."
1: Let's talk about Blind Ad for a little bit. Okay. Because uh, throughout the story, he's he's presented as basically a crazy person, like mm-hmm. at the end of his life, bedridden, blind. Uh, Lestat has waivers between moments of deep caring for him where he sits there and talks to him and they share drinks together, or they play chess, versus yelling at the old blind man for hating him so much. Like it kind of bounces back and forth. And we get some resolution to, to the blind dad <laughs> but I don't and I, I was I think you and I talked about this uh, I don't remember if this is actually Lestat's dad or not and I'm not like I'm kind of 99% confident it is not it,
0: I think it I think it is his dad okay. you know they um, louis's about to, to, to give me that sweet lore <laughs> <laughs> louis's about to, to, to put Lestat's dad down and Louis won't do it until Lestat comes in and makes peace and <sighs> A- apologizes to him Fucking like lily, not until you kiss your dad, not until you kiss your dad, kiss your dad full on the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there there is what could be a tender moment if Lestat wasn't being. I guess if Lestat wasn't recoiling so much, there's a there's a, a moment where Lestat's father basically says to him, um, you were the best of them. I never realized that you were the best out of all of your brothers. Um, but then you went away for a number of years and you came back and you weren't my same son, Wh- which, again, with everything that Lestat has tried to keep hidden from his father and everything, it. it, it it's it's an interesting scene and you mentioned um some of the moments where lestat was kind of shitty to him before my favorite were, was a moment earlier where louis was trying to be kind of nice and lestat decided he's like well i'll make noise if i want like i'll do whatever <laughs> i want and he, he picks up like a platter and like a ladle and starts beating it like he's some kind of like vampire bart simpson like, sure. just yeah. just making noise like i'll do whatever the hell i want
1: do you think this is a because uh, Anne Rice is gonna go on to write Lestat as if she is totally in love with him. Um this is the only book that he comes off of this way at all. Like, do you think this is Louis's embellishment a little bit? Do you think Lestat was just a little bit um disaffected, maybe, and just didn't care and Louis kinda went all in?
0: I, I think it shows that Lestat had a lot deeper feelings than Louis gave him credit for. Mm. The Lestat kept trying to do cool, fun stuff with Louis, like, hey, let's go out and hunt young men. Let's do some stuff together, you know, like, like you know, hey, I I saw a a guy over there. We could go eat him together. And Louis, Louis, never wants to go out anymore. He's like a little housefrau. Yeah, yeah. but um, and Lestat, he he can't kill his own father. He's genuinely asking Louis for help right here. And And
1: Louis fucking guilt trips him about it. (laughs) Thanks, Louis. You don't even know the guy. You know me. I'm your friend. You don't know what my relationship with him.
0: (laughs) So the f- The fathers died, yes, there's about to be a, a massive slave riot.
1: Louis does kill him.
0: yes yes, um, so they 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 flee yes um the only place they can think of to go is over to our our old friend Babettes
1: i love the uh house. the i love this exit strategy um uh, because this house point of lock is- belongs to Louis. And Louis decides on the way out, let's burn it down and kill as many of, of the slaves as possible on the way out. <laughs> like, that's what he does to avoid a riot. What he thinks a riot is, I, I don't know. Like, it's, I mean, if you guys just left, they probably wouldn't be.
0: You can't riot against a guy that's not there. Like, what are you going to riot against? His management company?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> down with all of this, please. <laughs> So, they yeah, they fleeted by Babette And uh, Louis just has to basically beg her and convince her and conjole her to allow them to, like, I guess, just, you know, coffin over the shoulder, <laughs> lug themselves into her basement, which she eventually submits. and It's like, OK, fine. Like, you've given me some good advice over the years. I guess I'll let you come in and sleep in my basement.
0: But you can tell she she's uncomfortable with it. This, she, she's, much so. she, she's not real, real happy with it um so you're right she lets them in they set up their coffins um they they enjoy an evening together um asleep unconscious in these coffins and then when it's time to get up and leave um that evening they find that babette has locked the exterior door um she's she's done a little bit better than what she said she would
1: do like make sure
0: that they're undisturbed she also locked their asses in i mean pro move by a
1: bet here <laughs> like i mean pro because you don't know what this is and hey maybe i'm just gonna let this chill for a little bit exactly. Nobody, they're obviously very excited <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll just let everything chill out you know we do this with our dogs sometimes like hey you're a little too excited maybe you need to go into the crate while yeah. we're gone <laughs>
0: yeah, we're just gonna crate louis and Lestat. <laughs> give him a kong a yeah. little peanut butter kong sure. let them mm-hmm. let them just relax a little bit a little chill <laughs> out an empty
1: water bottle and something fuzzy and just let them go to town <laughs> <laughs> um so but she is i mean because it's the same i mean they're in the same neighborhood essentially like they they've all heard this she kind of has figured out that they're vampires at this point like she she knows that they have the dark gift
0: yeah she she's basically um throwing cross fingers up and yelling unclean at them at this point (laughs) sure
1: (laughs) um and and Louis is devastated at this for whatever reason he's got a lot of his own self worth wrapped up with Babette's opinion of him and it's I guess it's logical because he spent so much time deceiving her about who he was that he should be wrapped up. In all of this this is why you just say hello. It, it's so much easier just to say hello to the girls you like. It
0: ties into <laughs> Louis's whole deal where he's like, he Louis felt like he was revealing his true good self to her. Well, well, no, it, that was also kind of a shtick. And when he was rejected for what he fundamentally was it's really showing louis that he can't ever a a whole part of his life is is gone he's his humanity is gone he's not human anymore and and b humans aren't going to react to him in the same way i mean it it just serves as confirmation of his um damnation i guess in his own Mm mind
1: and uh lestat is is kind of shown to just kind of not give a shit yeah. about all of this. He's well, just like whatever, dude. Like let's just get I wait I just want to eat people and go to bed.
0: Yeah. Lestas well, like let's drink her and get an Uber. Yeah.
1: This is a e- this is a problem easily solved. We just killed like 1500 slaves on the way over here and burned your house down and now you're all up in arms about this chick and her opinion? <laughs> Excuse me? Which is a logical opinion for an immortal vampire to have, I believe. Uh it's 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 really interesting. Lestat goes to get the carriage, which is going to take them to New Orleans. And that's going to be where the rest of the book takes us.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've got Louis in this state. Let's talk a little bit about
1: what happens next. Hold on. I got to We ran out of tape. I got to flip it over. All right. That was the first episode of Dead Blood Club. Thank you guys for listening. We very much appreciate it. Uh, Autumn, where can people find you on the internet? Should they want to chit chat with you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S Greer. You can also find me at the Dead Blood Club Twitter account, which is at Dead Blood Club.
1: That's correct. Real easy to remember. (laughs) <laughs> yeah send uh, everything uh, that you want to talk about to the podcast about twitter or uh, to the website that will be in the show notes uh, you can find me on twitter at jg greer I do a bunch of other podcasts if you enjoy this you'll probably like that uh, the easiest place to get in touch with me is uh, probably the monster of the week podcast where me and my buddy chris do we do a handful of other podcasts about supernatural cowboy bebop and we do uh, me and autumn join chris and we talk about the witcher book club uh, book witcher book series which is a lot of fun and uh you can support that over at patreon.com slash monster of the week we'll be back with another episode to continue our journey through interview with the vampire thank you everybody
0: thank you